0: Today we're going to talk about courage in the face of death. And I am, I have struggled in the preparation of this message between that, just what you saw there in terms of like looking each other in the eye and saying, yeah, like this life is brief, as uh, someone has said before me. Uh, If you're over 30, look at the person next to you. Uh, That's as good as they're going to look. It's all downhill from there. Um, And so there's a certain certain humor and a certain sort of uh, just camaraderie in this subject. And yet all of us that have lived any length of time, we have been touched personally by great loss in death and there's nothing humorous, there's nothing funny about that. It is, it, it is a cold, hard reality of our lives. Um, my first sort of big hit with it, somehow when it's your like really older folks that have lived a full life, when they, when they leave this world, it's kind of easier. It's not as traumatic for us. Um, some of us have had one parent that died very young and the other parent that died at a at a you know a ripe old age, and um, I can tell you for me, um, my dad died when he was forty nine. I can tell you exactly the date. I can tell you where I was when I heard the news. I can tell you everything about that. Okay, my mom went to be with the Lord when she was eighty eight. Okay, I I like I know it was kind of about. Sort of five or six years ago, and I know kind of when it was, but I can't tell you the exact date. Uh, maybe I should be able to, but I can't. Um, it it just wasn't the same sort of trauma because she had lived a full life, and it was it was her time, and it was it was okay. But all of, I think most of us have experienced these the 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 sort of the shocking ones that are a huge loss, and then the ones that are um, that are kind of in the normal um, cycle of life, and we are uh, more okay with that. We sorrow, but not uh, to the same degree. Today I'm going to look at some people in the Bible and some people not in the Bible. uh, And I'm going to try to uh, learn from these different ones, or extract from these different ones some lessons and some things that can help us in terms of perspective on this on this subject. So I'll start with, um, we're going to spend some time with uh, Esther, who that's a a book of the Bible and a story in the Bible about a uh, a very amazing young lady. Um, But prior to Esther, a little bit earlier, um, but in the same area of the world and during the same sort of set of kingdoms, was a man named Daniel. And Daniel was a man that faced death with absolute confidence. One of the stories that if we were raised in any sort of a Christian environment, for sure we learned the story of Daniel in the lion's den. What we often get wrong in that story, especially in children's books, is they tend to often show sort of a 25-year-old or an 18-year-old as being the Daniel in the lion's den. In fact, if you, if you study it, by the time Daniel faced the lions, he was 80-ish. Uh, he was no young man. Um, but he had lived a life where he had faced trauma, faced difficulty, face different kingdoms, different rulers, and where you could look at a king the wrong way and you would be toast. And he had lived in that environment and honored God in that environment with great uh, courage. Very recently, a man named John, uh, his name is John Sigarian, and he is Lebanese, he and another fellow named Eli, The two of them had gone uh, to Sudan and they were there um, basically teaching and instructing uh, young uh, leaders, in uh, sort of young youth workers and those that are uh, uh, wanting to teach the gospel. Um, And they were there teaching them how to communicate God's love, how to communicate the truth of the word of God. While they were there, uh, there was a coup in the government. Uh, You can read this story in Christianity Today. And uh, John and Ellie found themselves stranded uh, and three or four hundred miles from the airport. Their flights were canceled. They didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, many of us in the Youth for Christ, the global Youth for Christ family, um, we were praying for them. But what's really funny in the Youth for Christ family, in its culture, and it was there long before I got there, okay, they don't pray that God will get them out. They pray that God will use them and give them courage in the face of the circumstances that they are in, because the, the, in the culture of Youth for Christ, they have long learned over through years and years of those that have gone before us that when a crisis happens, God is up to stuff. He is doing things. He is opening doors. He is preparing ways that, that new things are happening. And to just be in tune with that is amazing. And so John and Ellie um, were, found themselves in a situation far from the airport, but where in a almost totally Muslim country, suddenly uh, there were no restrictions uh, in terms of uh, holding rallies and events because everybody was distracted by this coup Uh, and so they were able to hold a uh, some large rallies and tons of folks terribly upset and distraught came and uh, um, at least a thousand uh, folks um, brightly accepted christ uh, as their savior during that uh, event Um, and as you as you see that you just you say yes that's that's courage now To to give you a little more on that, John Segarian, who is a very good friend of mine, his wife went to be with the Lord 10 years ago. She she died of cancer. So John is about my age. Oh, he's older. He's about 10 years older than I am. His wife is already in heaven. And so John is absolutely fearless. Like, he's good to go anytime. So John will go into... Crazy places and stuff where it's, it's quite risky. And it's like the Apostle Paul says, where I, I, he'd already died. So, like, it was okay. He was good wherever he went. Along with him was a younger gentleman named Ellie. And Ellie has been married for about six months. Um, so back in Lebanon was a delightful young lady named Joy that uh, didn't have quite the same perspective that John had in terms of uh, them actually getting out of there. Um, But by God's grace, they did, and the couple is reunited, and so on. But there's there's a couple of Daniel with the lion's den, John and Ellie over there in Lebanon, and facing death and having the uh, courage to stand for God uh, during those times. Now, we're going to get to Esther. So turn to Esther chapter. I'm just going to read one little section um, In Esther it's in the fourth chapter but I'll tell you a little bit while you're kind of turning to it in your Bibles Um, so the the king that was on the throne when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den it says in our Bibles his name was Darius or Darius that's actually kind of a name sort of like Caesar There's a bunch of them, Um, and the one that was at the time was probably Cyrus, or Cyrus the Great, Um, and he died in about 530 BC. Now remember, for those of you that aren't into history, because it's BC, the numbers actually go down as you go forward, right? So 530 BC, uh, Daniel's uh, experiencing somewhere before that. So let's say maybe 525 or something, Daniel's experiencing the lion's den experience, okay? Um, Quite a bit later, you have the book of Esther. And this is probably, the the story takes place probably around 475 BC. So kind of 50 years later, say then, when, uh, when Daniel was around. And A funny thing, an amazing thing, Esther is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God. That's pretty pretty cool. We've got a a granddaughter named Trinity, and she gets a big kick out of the fact that the word Trinity is not actually in the Bible. Um, So she likes to say it's it's, it's a name for God, but it's not actually in the Bible. Well, Esther is a whole book that is like not only does it not mention God, but as you read Esther, you, you see it like avoiding the word God when it, it would logically say God. And it's, it's, so it's like the author is intentionally avoiding the name God. And what seems to be the overriding sort of theme and message in Esther is that God is at work even when when he is not recognized for being at work, and even when life seems crazy and out of control. I won't go into all the details in Esther, but if you read the first few chapters, you find that it was a bizarre time in history. The king had absolute authority, and you even see that they had some role of women and role of men questions, that were going on, and were raging back in that culture um, so many years uh, before Christ. You will find, uh, at least some have found that have studied it, that there's an acrostic um, through the the book of Esther that actually um, has the name Jehovah uh, in the acrostic, but it's not actually ever mentioned. Even when they fasted and cried, it never says they fasted and prayed. Okay, it says they fasted. And of course, who would they be crying to? But it doesn't actually say that they were crying to the Lord. <clears throat> so, when you, um, what's also good to know here is that it was a time when the, the, the children of Israel that were in Babylon, because they were there in captivity, and they probably should have been back in Israel already. There was the first going back under Zerubbabel, And that had happened back at about 535, somewhere back there. Um, The temple had been rebuilt. Um, It was completed around 515. And this is taking place sort of when they really should have um, already been back there. There was also some that went back under Ezra and some that went back under Nehemiah, you will remember. But... These folks, the the Israelites that were there in Babylon, they were still there. And what had happened was Esther had become the new queen. I won't go into all that that part of the story, or you will not get out of here in time for lunch. Um, So Esther has become the the new queen, and there is a uh, decree that has gone out because there were many in the kingdom that hated the Jews, but there was one particular person that was leading the charge, Uh, His name was Haman. And a decree had gone out uh, orchestrated by Haman that on a certain day, the next March, that all the Jews, it was sort of free for you to kill all the Jews, and any Jews that you killed, you could take their land, you could take their possessions. So it was going to be a horrendous day for the Jews, and they were going to potentially get wiped out. So um, Esther, meanwhile, is the new queen. She is Jewish, but she's hidden the fact that she's Jewish. And she has a cousin or an uncle, some sort of relative, that adopted her because her mom and dad had died. And his name is Mordecai. And he's got a big role in her life. And he's truly a uh, man of faith. But while she's hiding her, he had told her to, but she's hiding the fact that she's a Jew. She's living as the queen. And meanwhile, this threat has gone out. Mordecai Mordecai arranges to get a message to Esther about this. And Mordecai wants her to go in and appeal to the king. But everything was so austere there and so uh, formal that if Esther went in to the king and the king hadn't invited her to come, then if he held out his scepter, then she was okay. If he didn't, she was executed. And she was his new bride. So you can sort of picture a bit of a tense relationship there. Not your ideal marriage. There was also a whole harem and lots of other messy stuff. But what we have is Mordecai wants Esther to go in and talk to the king. She says in verse 11 of of Esther chapter 4, she says, All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without having been invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in this palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I just want to focus on three things here that I think are instructive. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. And then who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are given one life. Jesus said, if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you are willing to lose your life for his sake and the gospels, you will find it. You and I, especially in the West, we have a, we have we almost worship our own lives. We put such a high like value on them and, and just we we expect that we're gonna all live to be a ripe old age and we don't want anything to risk that. We got life insurance, we got home insurance, we got airbags surrounding us when we're driving we got health care like crazy. We've got so much stuff all oriented around to try to preserve that one life. And yet Jesus says, if you love your life, you'll lose it. What does this mean? Are we supposed to take crazy risks? Are we supposed to go into some sort of extreme sports and just sort of ever? I don't think so. But what I think Jesus is telling us and the word of God shows us is our life is a dot on the line of eternity. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were given a life that never ends. And our time here is so brief. We need to make our lives count for God. It's doesn't the length of them is not important. What's important is that you and I fulfill the purpose for which God has put us here. Esther gets this loud and clear as a young lady, and she recognizes that, as, as he says, if, if you are quiet, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Here he's talking about physical death. What I feel like the message for us spiritually is, if we don't, if we're not prepared to lay down our lives for what God has called us to be, what God has called us to do, then God will still fulfill his purposes. He will raise up others. But you and I lose the huge blessing that God has for us. And guess what? We get old anyway. I'm 65, almost and a half. I am definitely into the third period of the hockey game. Uh, Some of them go into overtime, but a lot of them don't. Most of them don't. Our life flies by. You heard it from Sigmund on the video. I was only five, it seems like yesterday. Our life goes fast, let's use our lives for him. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time? Esther, as it turns out, she did have the courage in the face of death. She had the courage to go in and to speak for her people to the king. And as you go through the story, you find that God was at work and he orchestrated things in an amazing way. There was timing that went on that was crazy, a night when the king couldn't sleep, and it turned out it was key to the whole story. But in the end... The nation was preserved. Esther played a key role in it. And to this day, this event is celebrated as one of the feasts that are in the face of uncertainty and uh, when we need courage and, and we're facing death. The gospel is all wrapped up in this the foundational message that God has for each of us. In Hebrews 9 and 27, it says, Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as the sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. Wrapped in the amazing story of our redemption is death. This is not something that we only, that God just kind of, you know, tells us about. The, the, The story of the cross is a story of death. But you and I, as those that know and follow Jesus, we celebrate an empty tomb. So it's 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 crazy for us and it's it's we sorrow, we hurt, we have risks, we have uncertainties. We we know that we need courage from the Lord to face these trials. But what we do know is that the Lord Jesus has been victorious himself. He has tasted death for every man. And so what Sigmund said in the little movie at the beginning. He said, it's going to happen to us all. It's only a matter of when. That's not true. There's an amazing thing that we actually don't talk about very much as Christians. We used to talk about it more. I think it's because it seems a little weird and unreal in our finite world. So we tend to not talk very much about the fact that we have a promise in God's word that we win that the Lord Jesus comes back and that if you and I are the ones that are living at the time when he comes back then guess what we never experience death. And because you know the whole history of man has gone by and everybody's died almost you can check out a couple of exceptions in the Bible. But almost everybody has died, then it's like we don't even want to talk about that. It seems weird. But you and I know this world is careening towards some massive bad thing. As more and more nations get nuclear, as more and more hatred builds and grows, as the breakdown of our whole world just shudders and shakes, we have in the word of God the... Lay, the, the laying out of how it all happens and how in the end Jesus is victorious. But let me read to you why, what's going to happen and how some of us will never experience death. It's from 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage one another with these words. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's there. It's in the word of God. It is laid out exactly what will happen and in exactly what order. So you and I can rest assured, if... We do experience death, we won't miss this because the dead in Christ will rise first. So, if you're barely hanging in there or if you are experiencing something bad and you end up passing away, guess what? You don't miss anything, okay? You actually rise first. But you and I, who may well be alive at the time when Christ returns, because it could happen today, When he returns, you and I are caught up together with those that have already gone before, and together we meet the Lord in the air. That is why we do not sorrow or grieve like those that have no hope. We grieve. We hurt. But many of us, I have just recently been to... Uh, One where there's absolute, a funeral where there's absolute assurance. We know where the person's going. We know where they are. And then another one where there's uncertainty and fear. And the difference is dramatic. And so I would say to each of you here in the room and on live stream, if you do not know the Lord Jesus yet as your personal Savior, this is the difference between life and death, what you do with Jesus. Jesus. You can face death with courage if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Because he has removed the fear. He has removed the sting. He's laid out for us exactly what will happen. But the word of God does say, as we read in Hebrews, it is appointed unto men once to die and after death the judgment. And so if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, then you will face God when you die without having your sins washed away in the blood of Christ. That's not a good place to be. Today, you can know on the authority of God's word, on what he has written down, that your sins are gone and that death has lost its sting. If you have never trusted Jesus as your savior, I encourage you to pray to him right now where you are. Thank him for dying for your sins. Tell him you want to receive him as your savior and you can know that you have eternal life, or that you're on your way to heaven. And for those of us that do know and follow Jesus, let me just remind you, as it says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The Apostle Paul said that. There is a freedom in recognizing that we are dead and that our life is hid with Christ in God. We are, there's a freedom in knowing that our life is but a dot and that the eternity all lies out in front of us, and it is with Christ. And so you and I can live our lives with a freedom and with a lack of fear. Paul says in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, brothers and sisters, those of you that know and follow Jesus, I finish off today with this last verse, which sort of wraps it all for me. Do you remember those angels after Jesus had risen from the dead? Do you remember what they said? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Because he lives, we live also. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the victory that is ours because you won it for us. We hear those words, Lord Jesus, on the cross as you had taken all of our sins upon yourself and had, had been punished for them and you were able to declare it is finished. You are able to lay down your life and then take it again. That declaration, he is not here, he is risen, shows us that you have won the victory over death. And so, Lord Jesus, we rejoice today. We are aging. Many of us are sick. We've got those among us of our loved ones, those in this fellowship that have cancer, that have different... ailments that are are threatening their very lives, but we know, Lord Jesus, that our victory is in you, and we rejoice in that together. We sorrow, but not as others that have no hope. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us a fresh view of this today, and of the imminence of your coming, that you are coming soon, Lord Jesus, and we would say, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day, Lord Jesus, when we will be with you. We long for the day when you will have your rightful place here in all the earth. But Lord Jesus, until that time, may we have boldness, may we have courage to fulfill the role that you have for us.